All right. Good morning, everyone. You can go ahead and find your seats. Go ahead and get settled this morning, because this morning I am excited for what God has for us. If you don't know me, my name is Donnie Tapey. I have the privilege of serving here as the family pastor. And I'm so thankful, so excited to be able to be here with you guys this morning. So it's Halloween today, right? Yeah, that's a first for me, uh, preaching on Halloween. Uh, I'll make sure I talk some about the Holy Ghost. And I considered for a very brief moment, uh, <laughs> sorry, so I saw Brad laughing at my joke and it made me feel good inside. Uh, I considered for a very brief moment dressing up in like a costume to preach in, but I didn't want to hinder the work of the gospel. And I didn't want you guys to boo me off stage. So just wanted to, okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. I had like seven of those in a row and I thought that's too much. So I am fully aware today that it is a family service. So I just want to say, I know that, and I have three kids. Uh, and so I understand that it can be challenging, but I also realize how important it is and incredible for our kids to get to see us worship together, to get to see their parents worship God and to hear the word of God preached. So I pray this morning grace to you and know that there is so much grace for you and your kids. Don't worry about the noise. I won't worry about it. Uh, as Joe said, we've been in a series called Developing Resilience for the past eight weeks. And today marks the ninth and final week of that. And so I'm so excited again for what we're going to talk about. And if you don't remember, our working definition of resilience is this. The spiritual strength we need to face life's trials and temptations and stay faithful to Jesus. The spiritual strength we need to face life's trials and temptations and stay faithful to Jesus. Now, by way of reminder, the book of Hebrews was written uh, in the midst of persecution. It was written to Jewish Christians who had been through great conflict, suffering public insults and persecution. They have had their property confiscated. Some had been thrown in prison even. And many Christian leaders during the time frame of these trials had even been executed like Peter and Paul. So if you were a follower of Jesus from a Jewish background, you could escape the pressure of this persecution by renouncing Jesus and going back to the synagogue, which had protected status in Rome. And this renouncing and returning, it was a great temptation to those Christians at the time. Imagine, can you put yourself in their shoes, what they might have felt being even in the fear of death? So this book of Hebrews was written to these Christians in order to help them develop the resilience they would need to stay faithful to Jesus and to persevere in their faith through the most horrible circumstances you might imagine. So, so far in our series, we've seen how we can develop resilience many different ways. Uh, and so I encourage you to go to our YouTube and to check those out. You'll see them listed up on the screens, all the different ways that God is developing resilience through us. And this series is meant to build on one another. So I encourage you to look, to go and check those out. Today, we'll be in Hebrews 12, and the sermon title is this, Developing Resilience Through Remembering. Now, we could spend a year, more than a year, in Hebrews 12 and 13, the last chapters, but today, we're going to be focusing on something specific. So we're going to focus on just one passage in Hebrews today. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, we also have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Uh, uh, every other chair. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and grab one. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. So I'd like to begin today by reading that passage of scripture 
And then I want you to hold your place there because we're going to return there often. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Again, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, there are many ways to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? There's lots of different ways, but I feel like God has something for us this morning in fixing our eyes on Jesus through remembering him. So how can fixing our eyes on Jesus by remembering him develop resilience in us? What does that look like? How, do, how can that help us to not grow weary and to lose heart like the scriptures say? But what is it to remember? What does it mean to remember? So to remember is to have in your mind or be able to bring to your mind an awareness of someone or something that you've seen, known, or experienced in the past. Again, to have in your mind or to be able to bring it to your mind an awareness of someone or something that you've seen, known, or experienced in the past. I just want to ask a question. How is your memory these days? How's it going? I don't know about you. My memory, if I don't have my smartphone for scheduling purposes, man, one of the first things I thought about uh, was obviously technology and all the things that we have going on. How many of you know your spouse's phone number? Oh, that's pretty impressive. Okay. How many of you know your best friend's phone number? Look at all that outsourcing. Either you have no friends or you're outsourcing those numbers to your smartphone. How many of you have Googled the answer to a burning question that you just had to know? And then the next week, you couldn't remember what the answer. You had to look it up again. Anyone? Yeah. Increasingly, more and more, we're relying on our smartphones and our devices to augment our memories, almost like outsourcing them. And on top of that, we have so much content, social media and otherwise coming at us that it literally pushes our memories out, making it more difficult to remember without the assistance of technology. The author of a New York Times bestselling book put it like this. You can picture a glass of water. He says this, it's like having water poured into a glass continuously all day long. So that, it, so that whatever was there at the top has to spill out as the new water flows in. We're constantly losing the information that's just come in. We're constantly replacing it, and there's no place to hold what you've already got. And it makes for a very superficial experience. You've only got whatever's in your mind at the moment. And so our memories are over odd thing about memory. We tend to remember, as you know, vividly, anytime something embarrassing happens to us, right? Like perhaps the first time you didn't make it to the bathroom on time, right? Addie, Addie loves the stories of daddy teeing his pants that I've told her. It's so much fun. She thinks they're hysterical. There's not been too many, but there've been some. I'll love to tell you later. But literally there's these memories that stick in our minds that are like traumatic or bad. And it feels like sometimes the good memories are so fleeting. 
like something great, amazing will happen in my wife and I's life. And then just a month or two, maybe even just a few weeks later, it's just so easy to forget. Or closer to home for all of us, the times in our lives something maybe emotionally or physically painful has happened. Those are right there at the surface, ready to be remembered in a moment. But it feels like I have to fight and like I have to mine for the good memories. Does that make sense? Do you feel that? Our memory is extremely important. In fact, I don't think it's possible to overstate the importance of it. Our memories, what we remember, is one of the most important parts of our discipleship to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Consider him so you don't grow weary and lose heart. Brothers and sisters, my divine family this morning, God's desire is that your remembrance of him would shape your reality and your future to make you strong today and for anything else the future may bring so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, I know you're holding children, so no worries if you're not taking notes. I want you to write this down. This is the main point of what I'm saying today. What we remember shapes our reality and our future. What we remember shapes our reality and our future. So we're going to dive right in. Our first point today is how do, we, how do we develop resilience? Well, we develop resilience through remembering what God has done for us in Jesus. Through remembering what God has done for us in Jesus. We see the implications of remembering or not remembering played out in the scriptures. The Old Testament, in many ways, if you haven't read it, it's almost like a cautionary tale of, of, of the consequences, the results of not remembering. Just in searching on my own, I found more than 57 verses urging the people of Israel to remember the Lord your God. And that's just searching on my own. I'm sure I missed some. Over and over again, God tells the people of Israel to remember him and to remember what he's done. There are some places, so these are some places, pieces of scripture I've pulled out from Deuteronomy chapter 8, just as a sampling it says this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. And then again, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And then again, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And then again, when you are prospering, your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who's, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery and remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And if you forget the Lord your God, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. I mean, it's like over and over and over and over again, God's saying, remember me, church. Would you just remember me? Bring me into your mind. The Old Testament is full of not only these encouragements to remember, but also uh, the account of how each generation remembered or didn't remember. And plus, it documents how quick the people of Israel, Israel were, and I would add how quick we are to forget. In the book of Numbers, uh, it's just a, I feel like God has a sense of humor in the scripture. In the book of Numbers, the people had just been rebuked for making a golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai, right? And Moses is up there getting tablets, and, and he comes down, and he sees what they're doing with this golden calf, and he breaks the tablets because he's so mad, and he goes back up on the mountain. 
And then it's also after they're in the wilderness and God has been providing manna, literally bread, like almost like this flour, like it says in the scripture, like coriander seed that they could use to make bread. He's providing it out of heaven for them, just providing for them in so many ways. And that God had parted the Red Sea as they were coming out of Egypt, like all these miracles. But we see and the people begin to complain because they don't have any meat to eat. And in Numbers eleven fifteen, it says this. This is what they say that they remember. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. I mean, we remember cucumbers, <laughs> melons. Oh, the leeks, garlic. Like, we remember these things. We remember these vegetables. Really? I mean, that's what you remember. I feel like God's admission there is, look at what I've done. Remember the miracles I've done. And you're thinking about garlic. I mean, if there had been cronuts, I could see. I could see. I could understand maybe how their minds went there. Look at that thing. Who doesn't want a cronut? But leeks and garlic. What we remember shapes our reality and our future. That's why in these final chapters of Hebrews, there's a call to fix their eyes on Jesus. To consider him so that they don't grow weary and lose heart. To remember what God has done. The people in Hebrews are growing weary. They're losing heart. And the writer says, no, fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. So remember that we're talking about our first point, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Developing resilience through remembering what God has done in Jesus. What did God do for us? He has provided our full and complete salvation. Amen. He's provided our full and complete salvation that while we were separated from God, utterly cut off from him because of our sin and deserving of death, God sent his son, Jesus, the perfect image of himself into this world in a human form, just like me, just like you, with all the same weaknesses and temptations that I have. And yet he lived a perfect life, never sinned, chose obedience to the father. Never deserved death or the wrath of God, yet he chose to go to the cross on your behalf and my behalf, taking our sins upon his shoulders, literally the weight of guilt that we had and giving us his righteousness as a perfect gift. He took from us a heavy yoke and he gave us his light and easy yoke. We didn't deserve this from Jesus. We didn't earn it. But because of his love for us, he gave us this most precious gift of reconciliation with God. And now because of this righteousness, we're, we're, we're in with God. God loves us. We have access to the Father. We can have confidence to go to him. Then he was raised from the dead and literally redeemed death from an end into a doorway into eternal life with him. And he's seated at the right hand of God. And now he sent us his Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And among us and literally counsels us on how to live life, how to walk it out. That is the full and complete salvation that God has provided for us. Amen. That's incredible, church. That's the full salvation, the abundant life he came to give. It says in John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. It, I feel like my best moments are when I remember that. Whether it's with my kids whether it's we're having a financial thing or whether it's we're discouraged about this or whatever life may bring. When I remember what God has done, I'm my best. 
I'm the best version of Donnie. I want you to be the best version of you, church, because that's what God has done for you. And when you remember that, oh, he brings you to life. He brings you to life. But do we remember that? Does it come to our mind? Yearly, monthly, weekly, daily, hourly, are we remembering that? Is it fresh on our minds? What comes against us remembering that and bringing it into our minds? Our scripture helps us here. It is profound that before the writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, look at what he says just before that. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. Throw off everything that hinders. We could talk about a lot here, but one of Satan's most effective tactics to get you to, uh, uh, to, get you to, to be far from God is simply to forget him. He doesn't need you to deny God. He just needs you to forget about him. And how does he do that? He distracts us and he hinders us with anxiety, worry and busyness. He distracts us with wealth and possession, status and success, politics and party lines. He distracts us with what is this person thinking about me? What is that person thinking about me? We're flooded with social media advertising, which feeds our comparison and envy and ungratefulness and entitlement. Man, before you know it, the first thought of your day is not God and what he's done for you. It's the last thought of your day, if at all. Church, what we remember shapes our reality and our future. Remembering the gospel is like an anchor which secures you in a storm of distractions, discouragements, and lesser things. Throw off everything that hinders you from bringing you to what Jesus has done for you. My story, you know, in in 2008, I was extremely distracted. Uh, I was extremely hindered. I had been distracted by a relationship, an engagement that I was in that I actually called off because of unfaithfulness in it. I was distracted by fears of the future. What did this mean for me? Would I ever get married or would I have children? Distracted by fear of what others would think. I mean, we had sent out save the dates. Everyone knew that we were engaged. I was anxious about all the conversations I'd have to have with people explaining what had happened. I was distracted by the confusion of it all. What had happened? Most of all, I was terrified by the unfaithfulness that had happened in, 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 in the relationship, because I thought, what does this mean about me? I mean, I, I, hadn't, I wasn't the one who had been unfaithful, but I remember thinking, how did this follow me? Because my parents' marriage ended like that. My dad was unfaithful. And like, am I broken somehow? Is this destined to follow me around? Am I destined to have a painful marriage? On top of that, I felt like I had very few memories of God to draw on in the moment. I was so distracted with so many thoughts and feelings and anxiety. And so I moved to Washington, D.C. for the summer, as one does when they need peace and quiet. You know, our nation's capital, a bastion of peace. You know, no, no my, my, my brother lived there. My brother Matt lived there. And so I went to stay with him for the summer. I needed a change of scenery. And I was on my brother's futon one night, which was very uncomfortable. That's not part of the story, but... I was on my brother's futon one night, laying there, and I remember just feeling all this flood of emotion and anxiety and confusion. Today's a guarantee that I'm going to cry, because I'm talking about the gospel, and I love the gospel. I was sitting on my brother's futon there, thinking, trying to go to sleep, but I couldn't. 
I just began to ask the Lord. I said, Lord, what are you doing? Like, what's happening in my life? How, what, what's the point of this? God, would you, would you help me? Would you help me to understand? I was desperate. And as I waited there in the, in the quiet, I just felt like the Lord brought to me over and over again, almost like a film reel coming through my mind of all the times he had been faithful to me. He had kept me from sin in that relationship. All the times that he had guarded me and guided me. All the times he had made me come to a realization and wake up. All the kindnesses that he showed me. And at the very end, he, I felt like this very clearly. I, I, was, I was talking about these circumstances. I, was, I wasn't looking back to the past or anything, or anything about my past. And I felt like the Lord said, Donnie, you're no different than your father. But in the most comforting of ways. And he said, just like your father needed me, you need me. Like in that moment, I needed, I needed something else. But God's drawn me back to this place of history of unforgiveness. And he says that. And for the first time in my entire life, I looked at my father with compassion. Instead of contempt. Instead of, I can't believe you would leave us for success and money. Can't believe you would do that. I would never do that. I'm better than that. And God used that moment to bring me down to his level. And to say, just like your father, you need me. And it was literally at that moment that the trajectory of my life shifted. Because forgiveness came in. And I began to see my current circumstances in a new light. I was desperate for God in that moment. And I needed him. And that's where we began, church. In utter need and desperation of God and who he is. God met me there. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. He freed us from, save, from, from slavery to sin, forgiven us. And by, doing so as, and by doing so for us, he's empowered us to throw off everything that hinders. Do you have unforgiveness in your life? Throw it off. Don't hold on to it. Are you distracted by wealth and possessions? Throw it off. It's not worth it. Are you distracted by success and career goals? Are they pulling you away from Jesus? Throw it off. Oh, there's so many good things in the midst of that. Wealth and possessions are good. Careers can be good. But if they're coming you and pulling you away from the Lord, throw them off, church, in the name of Jesus. Throw it off. What's the next thing we need to throw off? What does he say to us? He says this, throw off the sin which so easily entangles. Now, no matter the demographics, age, stage of life, one of the things I often see is that when children of God like you and like me, sons and daughters of God, experience some hardship or failure in life and are confronted with their own sin or deficiency, they begin to spiral and forget the grace that God has given them. And they can only see their sins, their failures. And then personally, I have so much compassion on that. Even just last week, I was with my discipleship group. And again, I was sharing with tears in my eyes how so often my default temptation when I'm tired or weary is to only see the things I've failed in. It's to only see the ways I need to grow in or the things I, I'm not doing. And I get discouraged easily and forget to look upon all that God has done in me and provided for me. Sin so easily entangles and the enemy wants us to be unsure of our salvation, 
unsure of our standing as sons and daughters, loved by God. He wants us to remind us of our sins and create distance between us and God. And there's this pervasive lie I see in myself and in our culture because we're soaking all the time in a performance-based culture that says, you know, I've already accepted Jesus, but I've sinned, I've messed up. You know, if I was a follower of Jesus, I wouldn't do those things anymore. I should know better. Sure, God loves me, but he's disappointed in me. I can't, I can't approach him. I've lost his favor on my life. I can't draw near to him in this moment. And remember, but I want you to remember, church, to not grow weary and to not lose heart. That is not the truth. That is not the good news. The good news is that we're sons and daughters. That's why we say it every week. We are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. That's why we say it every week in our declaration as well, to remind us of who we are, that we can approach God with confidence that he's our good father. God's salvation is full and complete. He is so good to us, church. And part of that salvation is a literally a lifelong sanctification process where God continues to refine us, to teach us and to form us into his image. Your salvation literally begins that sanctification process. And that's why the writer of Hebrews here addressing Christians tells them, throw off the sin which so easily entangles and fix your eyes on Jesus. Could he have said, throw off the sin which so easily entangles if sin had not already been dealt with? We were enslaved to sin. We couldn't just throw it off, but it's been conquered. Its dominion over you is removed. So he says, throw it off. Throw off the sin which so easily entangles. John Tyson said in a recent sermon of his, Satan wants us to remember our sins and forget God. God wants us to remember his full salvation and forget our sins. That is what we're called to, church. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Does it say he gave the right to those who have perfected themselves and no longer fail? No, he says to those who believed in him, you've been given the right to become children of God and approach God with confidence. Does that make sense? Isn't that amazing? That's what God's done for us in the gospel. What we remember will shape our reality and our future. So God's desire for us this morning is that we would develop resilience through remembering what God has done for us in Jesus. All right, church, our second and final point. We develop resilience through fixing our eyes on Jesus in the moment of need. Hebrews 12, two through three says this, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, we don't remember what God has done in our past simply to have happy thoughts about it and to feel good about being forgiven. We remember what God has done in order that he can walk with us into the future. Once we remember God has redeemed our past to bring us into relationship with him, then we are empowered by his Holy Spirit to walk into the future. And God will always be there for us, church. He is a good father. In verse two, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before Jesus, God had a future for Jesus. Isn't that incredible? 
God had a destiny for Jesus, an inheritance, something on the other side of his current suffering that kept him from growing weary. And Jesus had this lifetime of seeing God be faithful to him that he could draw upon. I recently, this past summer, I went, on, I went camping for three days by myself. Uh, it was amazing. I went to the Black Fork Wilderness area up in Arkansas, and I didn't see a soul, literally, not a single person for three days. It was amazing. Me as an introvert, it was a blessing. Some other people would maybe have been terrified, but it was awesome. I loved it. And I went hiking on the second day, and I was hiking up to the summit of Black Fork Mountain, about six miles or so, uh, six miles up, six miles down. And I was hiking there, and I remember along the way, uh, it, it's a wilderness area, so it's not, um, it's not taken care of by you know, local officials or anything. So the trail was really overgrown, and there were trail markers. It would be like some blue paint you know, on a tree or like a little ribbon tied to a branch <laughs> would mark the trail. And there were points where I'm walking, and it was like walking through high grass. I couldn't see where the trail was, but I'm like looking ahead, seeing if I see the next trail marker. And I remember at one point I was walking, it felt, it felt, it's probably like five minutes, but it felt like 10 minutes, 15 minutes where I was walking and I hadn't seen a trail marker. And I started wondering and thinking about the helicopter that was going to have to come and rescue me out of the wilderness and how I'd be ashamed, couldn't look my family in the face. I, I pride myself on, on loving the outdoors and I was like, no, this cannot happen. And so I, I, I stopped and I backtracked to the last marker that I saw. I walked back and I found it. I was like, okay, okay, this is, I'm on the right path. Now let's look for the next one. I began walking and I, I missed one. It was one that I didn't see. And I was like, okay, yes. And I began walking and I began confidence and knowing that this joy of being at the summit, I was going to spend two, three hours up there just sitting in the sun, enjoying the view, spending time with God. I couldn't wait for it. And I, that kept me going. If that wasn't there, I would have probably just turned back at that moment. But this summit up here and then these markers along the way is what helped me. And as I tell that story, I'm, I'm honestly, who here knows Trey Ewing? Yeah, that's right. Trey Ewing, his story came to mind as I was thinking about this. And so I asked him if I could share some of his testimony. So Trey gave his life to the Lord in eighth grade. The Lord was immediately stepping in and telling him to give everything to him. He gave up relationships, a girlfriend, everything. And that's a big deal when you're in the eighth grade. Give up a girlfriend. It's like giving up your status. Even in financial ways, the Lord is providing for him. And so God built trust early on with Trey. Later in life, though, this was tested. Uh, Trey had, as many young men do, they looked at their father almost like this superhero that could do no wrong. He began working for his dad his senior year. And under the promise of future payment for the work he was doing, uh, in order to pay for his college degree, Trey worked for six months for his dad, and he needed this money to be able to pay for school and to live. Um, but however, it was revealed that his dad wasn't going to pay him for his work, wasn't going to follow through with what he had promised to him. Trey felt betrayed and used, deceived and manipulated by his dad. One of the people in his life, you know, that he was supposed to be able to trust most, one of these people that was like this icon for him. And he let him down in such a big way. Trey, Trey felt wounded. You know, he put up, he had, he had put his college career kind of at stake on this money. And during the weeks following all of this coming to light, he was scrambling to find a way not only to pay his previous debt, but also his future debt, totaling around $8,000 to be able to finish school. 
And also during this time at his school, there was a speaker who was there one day sharing about giving and generosity. And the speaker asked them to pray about what God would want you to give in this moment. And Trey's thinking anything but money, obviously, because that's I don't have very little. He said he had five dollars in his pocket and a few dollars in his savings and no job because that had just ended. And Trey prayed, being faithful, and he asked God what he wanted him to give. And God said, the $5 in your pocket. <laughs> you're like, you're like, it's like one of those moments where you don't want to ask God because you know what he's going to say. You know he's going to call you to obedience and to trust. But he says, the $5 in your pocket, which was all that he had in the moment. And Trey began to argue back. <laughs> but I need this money. It's like gas money for me. I need to be able to get home. And he felt the Lord say, give it. And let me show you what I can do. And so Trey did give it. And then literally about 10 seconds later, he gets a call from his mother, which he didn't answer. Shame on you, Trey. Always answer calls from your mother. And so later he called his mom back and he found out. And his mom said, Trey, you're not going to believe this. And his mother began to tell him that she had written a letter to a radio station when everything was coming to light with his dad and asking for their help in any way. And they had gotten back to her and said they were going to take care of the entire $8,000 that Trey owed like that. It's like, it's amazing. And then the next day, Trey was working a side gig with his mom, bussing tables just to try to earn some money. And there was a chef there who he didn't even know, but he connected him to a restaurant and he got a job the very next day. And the following week, he went to pick up the check from the radio station. And they said the, they felt that the Lord had told them to give him another check for $500 on top of what they had already given him just for his expenses and whatnot. I mean, come on. It's like one little bit of faithfulness. Trey felt overwhelmed in that moment. And like, God, you are multiplying my offering, you know, 10, 50, 100 fold. Thank you, Lord. God was showing him that, Trey, I've got you. And for Trey, this experience set the trajectory for his future. In, in this moment of need, Trey looked back to the trust that he had built with God early in life. And the act of remembering in the moment defined, or the act of remembering what God had done in the past defined his moments in the action, or defined his actions in the moment now. Does that make sense? Remembering helps us do things differently in the moment. This solidified the, the belief in Trey that, man, if God can bring me out of that, he can bring me out of anything. Like, there's nothing that God can't do. And, it's, it, and I love how God does this. He loves to provide trail markers for us along the way. He loves to tie memories to branches so that as we're on our way, we remember him. This is just another memory in Trey's life that he has to look back on now. And he gets to look back on and say, God, I know, I know I can trust you. When he feels lost, he can go back and say, God, I know that you're trustworthy. God loves to do this church. He loves to establish markers so that you don't get lost and so that others may follow as you share your testimonies. You know, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, God is always, he will always be establishing new markers for us in our life along the way so that we do not grow weary. And oh, what joy God has set before Trey in his life. I mean, I look at Trey and in the life to come, absolutely, there is a reward for Trey. But even in this life, I mean, on this earth, I see a harvest of joy and righteousness in Trey's life. 
I see a man of God who's invested in his community and serving with faithfulness and generosity, who's walking in freedom uh, from guilt and shame. I see a husband who loves his wife and is seeking to love her like Jesus. I see Mel, his beautiful, godly wife. What a blessing she is to him. I see the precious daughter that they have on the way. And all that that's going to, to, to do to speak as Trey steps into fatherhood, beginning this new chapter of his life where God can be faithful again in new ways. Oh, what joy has been set before him on the other side. And there's even more joy to come. Will Trey struggle along the way? Yes. Is he perfect now? Perfectly good looking. Yes. But no, he's not perfect. He's going to struggle. But remember the gospel. Remember that you're a son or a daughter. You're brought in to the kingdom. You're near to God. You can access him even in the moment of your failure. You can go to him just like King David and say, God, I need you, Lord. I've sinned. I've failed. Will you help me? And so that's how we can literally begin to not only throw off these other things in our life, throw off everything that hinders and throw off the sin which so easily entangles. But that's how we remember God in the moment by building these memories with him, keeping them close in our minds. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says this. Have you not known or have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases their strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come on, church. That's the God we serve. If we would wait for him to speak to us, to bring those memories of what he's done into our mind. So remember what God has done for you in Jesus, where he's brought you from. Remember the gospel and where you stand with God as a son and a daughter. And remember to fix our eyes on Jesus in the moment. Remembering him in the moment gives us the strength to be resilient, church, to stay faithful to him and to trust him no matter what may come. And when we do that, he creates a new memory with us, a new marker of his faithfulness. What we remember shapes our reality and our future. If I could have the band come up and if our prayer and prophetic team and our staff and our overseers could come up as well to pray, we're going to respond in worship and prayer now. And I want to encourage, um, we want to encourage you and pray for you. One of the primary tasks we have as followers of Jesus is to remind one another of the goodness of God, to remind one another of the great salvation that we have, the great father that you have and the great church family you have that you're surrounded by. All right. I want everyone to just hone in with me for a moment. You are not alone today. You have a church family here, a divine family that is here for you. But I realize that as we begin to remember things and we begin to look back on our past, sometimes there's things in our hearts and our minds and our experiences that we haven't let Jesus touch yet. You know, God is a lover. He stoops to conquer. When he comes to us, not everything's dealt with, and he knows that, but he is patient. Man, is he patient? <laughs> like, if I am, if I am, oh, I wish I could give you like a video screen of my personal life with my family and see how patient God is with me. 
how compassionate he is. If you have something in your past that you feel like, Jesus, I can't let you touch that. I don't want to let anyone know about that. I, I, can't, I can't bear the thought of sharing it. Man, God is here for you. And he wants you to know that there is nothing but compassion and love for you here today. There's nothing but understanding. There's nothing but his grace and love that receives you as a son or a daughter. Don't let another day go by where you're carrying a weight that only he can carry. It makes no sense for us. You will grow weary. Let him have it. Let him take it. And oh, the life that will come. And hear me say this. Jesus wants to take every part of your story, no matter how ugly, no matter how dark, no matter how whatever it feels. And he wants to transform it into a testimony that's going to leave markers for others to lead them out of the wilderness, to give them hope for the future of what God wants to do. Man, the gospel liberates us, church. To be able to process through his perspective all the things in our past and to be able to have them redeemed and see Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. His full salvation and presence is offered to you today. You know, if you, perhaps you're simply weary. Perhaps you've been following Jesus and trying and trying and just life's burdens and worries are just coming up and they just feel heavy on you. Are you tired of fighting? Are you tired? Are you weary? Do not grow weary and lose heart. Let us pray with you that you would consider him who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We want to pray with you and just ask the Holy Spirit, God, what's the joy that you set before me? Would you help me to see it? Would you help me to see what I'm fighting for? And if you don't know Jesus today, you don't have history with him. God loves you so much that he has already done everything that needs to be done for you to come into his family right now. There is nothing stopping you. There is no sin. There is no space between you and God. Jesus has provided for you everything that you need to literally step into a relationship with him right now. Don't go another moment with distance between you and your heavenly father. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to shepherd you. And he is faithful to be there. If there's anything I could say, trust that he is faithful. What's on my heart today as we respond is just that for everyone in the room that we would simply ask the Holy Spirit of God, what would you like me to remember about you? Holy Spirit, what would you like me to remember about you and what you've done in my life? And to let God respond. Let God speak to you and he's going to give you exactly what you need because he's a good father. And if you feel so distracted by everything in your mind, you feel like you can't even pray, come forward and we would love to pray with you. We want to pray with you so that God can speak. We believe in the gifts here, church, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want God to speak with us. I want to practice listening to the Holy Spirit today together. So our prayer team is ready to pray with you for anything at all. We love you, church. You have a divine family here, so I just invite you to come up and to pray and to receive ministry.